0: it's the end of the month you've been working hard on deploying your new shiny application in the cloud customers are happy performance seems great what could possibly go wrong did i mention it was the end of the month you know what comes at the end of the month your bill and just like sticking a fork in an outlet the results can be quite shocking When building an app in the cloud, cost might not be the first thing you consider, but it cannot be the last. So why don't we talk about optimizing for performance and cost, aka how I learned to keep customers and finance happy without going insane. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, a frank discussion of what happens when cloud stops being polite and starts getting real. This is Episode 4, and I am your host, Ned Belavance, Ned1313 on the Twitters. And my guest today is Iris Klassen. She's a developer and Microsoft MVP. Welcome to the show, Iris.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: So uh, if you want to give the listeners a a little bit of background on uh, how you got into IT and uh, what you're doing today.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I'm a before this um, clinical dietitian uh, that just had a change of heart and then decided to start learning programming. And thus I became a .NET developer, which I think was an excellent choice. And uh, I'm currently working for a startup in Gothenburg in Sweden. Sweden is really big in the startup scene. Uh, We have a lot of uh, popular companies. You might remember Skype, who used to be Swedish, and uh, we have Spotify and a few more. And, of course, Construct where I work is hoping to become just as big, uh, although we are sort of targeting the more boring area, <laughs> finance and uh, <laughs> finance and planning. Yay. Uh, that's where I work now uh, as a senior developer, cloud architect. Insert fancy name that makes me sound really cool.
0: Okay. And uh, just like Spotify and Skype, um, I, I understand that Construct is also a uh, software as a service solution. Yep. So, uh, what sort of service are you offering to clients? What's the, uh, what's the plan, uh, to, to offer to them?
1: Uh, so what we are offering, this is for enterprise com- uh, companies, so quite large clients, uh, would do any type of data-driven planning, really. Uh, usually people think of data, uh, data-driven planning, such as budgeting, uh, data-driven budgeting in particular, prognosis, but any data consolidation and any planning that you need to do. Usually companies will have these massive Excel sheets that will pass around you know, to different divisions, like you fill in your budget here, you fill in your budget, here and then who made this uh, this function I don't know how it how it works and and they have all these issues consolidating the data after the fact, after all the different divisions have filled in the data. Because if you share if you share a sheet joined together, then you have a problem uh, with um, access security and people writing over each other's data and, and so on. So it just becomes a huge mess because these sheets that they, they pass around are very, very big and quite complicated. Uh, and it just doesn't work because you don't have access control. Uh, you don't have like a sign off. And quite a few things. So this is basically what we do, Um, trying to very simplify this. But I guess you can call us sort of like an Excel tool online, but we do all the things that Excel doesn't do for enterprise uh, customers. Hmm.
0: That's really interesting. So I have seen some pretty amazing spreadsheets (laughs) in my day. Uh, I remember... When, uh, when things shifted from uh, Excel 2003 to 2007, and uh, all the financial analysts at the company I was at got hold of 64-bit Excel, and they're like, I can do a million-some-odd rows. This is amazing. And I was like, you should really probably put that in a database or
1: something. Yeah, it <laughs> is. and it is a, It's an amazing tool that can do some really cool stuff. And we're definitely not trying to replace Excel, and we're not trying to uh, replace any BI tools. Actually, we work very well together with other BI tools But the problem becomes when you need to uh, share data across different divisions, and you need to consolidate that data. That's, That's where you can't really use the typical BI tools or Excel.
0: Right. I've seen people try and it usually doesn't work out great. So when you started building this solution, uh, I think you you mentioned before the call uh, that it was all running on premises yeah. initially, and then the idea was to maybe replatform it. So what did it look like initially, and what was the the plan to deploy it um, in Azure?
1: Yeah, when I uh, when I joined the team, it because only of two people, uh, Anders and Johan, and just two guys with a brilliant idea. And Johan, poor guy, did most of the coding, and it was an on premise solution. Um it, it was and still is a distributed monolith <laughs> as we call it. So um okay. it basically consists of a bunch of services, but they're so heavily dependent upon each other and all use the same database, uh sorry, same uh, same SQL servers. Um, so they rely on each other. So basically you can just treat them as a monolith, even though we sort of de- deploy them separately. So it was an on-premise installation. So if a client wanted to use them, uh use our our system, they they would obviously pay, and then they would install it locally on their servers, which caused you know, a lot of issues because then uh, mm-hmm. some of our customers uh, have problems. Um, they don't have uh, the resources needed. Uh, estimating costs was a problem because we're talking about the data, the amount of data. It's, it's, it's a lot of data. So we have uh, one of our customers is called Espresso House, which is basically uh, Starbucks in Scandinavia or Northern Europe. And the, I don't even know how many cafes they have, but the amount of data they have, that's a lot. So if they were to install this on-premise, they would have to estimate uh, how much resources they would need. And that's quite hard to say. So we ran into all sorts of problems and we just decided that it just it's getting very expensive for customers and also for us. And it would be more reliable uh, performance-wise and cost-wise to run this in the cloud. So I joined the team and I made the solution, a multi-tenant solution instead of being an on-premise installation. And I also was the one who really wanted us to host everything on Azure and was responsible for the initial setup on Azure.
0: Okay. And when you were sort of planning that initial setup, uh, how did you envision the architecture to be deployed on Azure? Were you going to use all virtual machines or were you planning to use some of the platform as a service features?
1: Well, I'm, I'm really happy I wasn't caught up in the whole container thing before I set it up because <laughs> I had grand plans. Oh, my God, the plans I had. It was going to be the best setup ever. Of course, it never gets to that. So basically, we just uh, the setup in the cloud was a sort of a replication of what you would do uh, if you were to set it up locally. However, we were really cool and we used cloud services. Now, I don't think that's around anymore because everybody's using Azure Service Fabric instead, <laughs> but we used the, the so-called uh, cloud services uh, at the time when we set it up. I say we, but I set it up um, just trying to sort of share responsibilities. That in sure. The cases I really screwed up, then it wasn't me, it was us.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I think cloud services still exist but they're really trying to get people away from spinning up anything new on cloud services. So I think there's still a really large deployment of cloud services. And they moved the management plane over to resource manager because it used to be on the old service manager portal. So they moved all the management components, but I think under the covers, it's still like server 2012 based uh, deployments. So yeah, I mean, using app service or or something like that would, would make more sense going forward.
1: I think people wanted more uh, fine-grained, uh, fine-grained management uh, in terms of their setup with cloud services. So it was very nice out of the box, but as soon as you wanted to tweak, uh, you ran into a few issues. And I mean, they started adding really nice things, such as you know, stage deployment and all that. But Um, talking about uh, costs and so on. A lot of people weren't aware that when you were having things uh, suspended, it would still cost you because you would still reserve that space. So there was just a lot of confusion and people didn't get to do all the things they wanted to do. And I think that's why they moved away from uh, cloud services. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. And you're still tied to certain versions of .NET, I think, on cloud service too. So you couldn't move as fast as you might want to to some of the new goodness out there. Yep. So what what did you actually end up um setting up in azure uh, initially and did did you have to make immediate changes or alter it
1: uh so basically everything everything was uh was changed uh, so i i rewrote parts of the system not the business logic of course uh but mm-hmm. rewrote wrote large parts of the system so it would work as as a shared <laughs> resource deployment, because obviously you have a lot of things you need to think about when you go to uh, when you when you move from an on-premise system to a multi-tenant system. Things such as are you gonna is the data gonna be shared in the same database? Are the tenants gonna have their own database? Are they gonna have their own service? Are you gonna are you gonna shard? Uh, and all, all those all those different things that you need to think about. So all that had to. Sort of, I had to take all that in in account. So what we ended up with uh, was each tenant had their own database. Uh, we chose to opt out of using Azure SQL. Uh, we did give it a try, but this was very early on when they didn't have all the features that we wanted, uh, and also it was still very expensive. And uh, the elastic pooling wasn't available yet. It was in preview, but it wasn't really. working for us, so we couldn't use it. And we tried to to avoid things in preview. So we had a virtual machine with SQL set up. Uh, Of course, that can get a bit expensive. And then we had virtual machines for all our different services. and uh, being uh, cloud services, we would have different deployments depending on which environment we were in. Uh, all the VMs are behind the same virtual IP. So we could have sort of a, a proxy on the way out. So we would hide all the, the things we want to hide and only make available from the outside things. So we wanted to have available our APIs. And then the client itself, which was only HTML and JavaScript, uh, quite heavy client, but still... Uh, quite lightweight in a way. Uh, that one we had set up as then just an Azure web service.
0: Okay, okay. So client was Azure web service, but then you had your actual services.
1: Yeah, or web app or app service, or, <laughs> you know, they changed the name <laughs> <laughs> I completely lost track of what it's called nowadays, but it wasn't a virtual machine.
0: Yeah, if I remember correctly, uh, there was web apps before there was app service. And then when they launched app service, they folded web apps into that along with mobile apps and like two or three other things. So it just, it was like made it even more confusing. Right. <laughs> oh,
1: <sighs> man. Why do they do this? Why do they do this with the naming? It drives me crazy. I, um, I used to, I used to do a lot of stuff with windows store apps and they're not called windows store apps anymore. But I remember <laughs> what they were called Metro apps.
0: Yes. Right. Cause they were supposed to be based on the Metro design, yeah. right. Or the Metro UX. And, uh, yeah, they changed the Windows Store. Microsoft, well, tech companies in general just seem to have a real problem with renaming things. And it's like, no, just stop. Let us learn the name and stick with the name. Yep. <laughs> but I suppose that's a testament to how quickly technology changes is that they feel like they need to constantly reinvent the naming as well.
1: Well, at least they're not scared to change.
0: <laughs> I guess. Uh, and so from a deployment standpoint, um, were you using uh, like a CI/CD pipeline to deploy your your code out to various environments, or was it more of a manual setup? Or what was your uh, your automation level there?
1: Oh dear. Okay, so my colleagues are gonna kill me for this, but. <laughs> <laughs> But when I joined the team, we did not have a CI CD set up. So, basic, I guess you could sort of say we had version control that consisted of uh, two annual commits or something. Okay. Uh, And uh, it was a copy and paste deploy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Uh, we don 't do that anymore, so the, one of the first things before I set everything up on Azure. The first thing I did was set up a build server, and that we moved that as well to Azure everything like that so we used a very standard setup um, a build server with a build service using Team City. I really like Team City, although I find myself using the command line tools more and more, so it 's sort of Overkill for us because it just runs a bunch of scripts, really. Uh, so we use Team City to uh, to manage our uh, our deployment. Uh, nowadays, when we moved uh, to a local cloud provider, we're also using Octopus Deploy, which is uh, one of my favorite tools. But I guess I don't know if that's a topic for another time.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, in my day job, um, one of our a couple of our teams use Team City and Octopus pretty heavily. It's like those two are. Uh, yeah our partners or something in crime. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and that actually, uh, you, you alluded to moving it back on-prem. So um, we talked a little bit about the fact that cost is a factor when it comes to deploying in in the public cloud. So what happened with the Azure environment from a, a cost perspective?
1: Well, uh, very few of us uh, <clears throat> ever logged in and checked out the building. So, you know, uh, being a startup, we had limited resources, both in, in terms of people and in terms of money. And uh, But we didn't spend too much time, you know, analyzing costs because we did have some investment. Uh, so we did have some money available to us. And then I remember one day in particular that I logged in and I just wanted to see how things were going. And I just got a notification, something about the cost, and I I looked up at the stats for the cost, and they were just insane. And I remember immediately just writing on Slack to my colleagues like, "Has anybody checked out the cost? Because this is this is going crazy, you know." <laughs> and we we had done so many things. Uh, one of the, the obvious things that I don't know if people do, but when you give developers access to Azure, they'll I don't know if everybody does that or if it's just us, you know, you just start you know creating new resources because it's click 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 and it's done Mm -hmm. if you've ever worked as a consultant and you had to beg on your knees for half a year to get a tiny little server that you know you can play around with stuff on you know some server from back in 2008 you know you're so happy that you can create all these virtual machines yourself and you can scale them up as much as you want so you go in like yes give me all the good things and make them big And then we get somebody's going to pay. And because it's, you know, (laughs) you usually don't pay upfront with Azure. You can uh, with Azure reservations and a few other things. Uh, But usually it's just pay as you go. And, oh, that sucks people in really fast.
0: Right, right. Because you're thinking, oh, I I need a virtual machine to test out this (laughs) thing. That's pretty good. But maybe I want to test it at scale. So why don't I? triple the size of that VM and I'll, I'll, I'll switch it back later and yes. then you just forget and do something yeah. uh, else. Right? Not
1: <laughs> creating resources and, and then not deleting them. And that's the thing, like it's not enough to suspend or stop. You need to, uh, you need to make sure you delete the things that you're not using. That's, that's incredibly important. And when you're not using a virtual machine, deallocate it. Don't just stop it, deallocate it, because if it's allocated, you're going to pay for that allocation. So, yeah, and start small scale later, you know, what, what's the help?
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, a couple of really important points to, that, that you touched on there is one, if you are just in the virtual machine and you issue a shutdown command, that does not deallocate the resource in Azure. So you're still paying for that VM, even though you shut it down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, The other thing is deleting stuff that, especially storage, that you're not using. Um, I know this has bit me a few times. Uh, Even if you delete a virtual machine, and I think they've changed this behavior very recently, but the old way, if you deleted a virtual machine, it did not delete any of the backing hard drives, which, like, that's maybe good because maybe you find out you need that information later, and they want you to be absolutely sure you don't need it. But if you don't realize that, you think, I deleted the machine, that means I'm not using the storage anymore. And uh, you are.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna say like one really weird advice in terms uh, regarding this is when you create resources, um, I'm just gonna refer to the tools and services as resources. When you create resources, give them proper naming mm. and don't let Azure do the auto naming for you, because otherwise it'll be like going in your downloads folder or your desktop or your computer <laughs> Ten years later, and trying to remember what the hell these files were, and end up having to opening each one of them, and go, oh, maybe I'm using this here or there, you know. Uh, I get like terrified of deleting things because I'm just worried like everything's gonna blow up because the names are like new VM one two three four or something
0: right right yeah oh that's a great point like the fear of deletion because you don't know what that resource is doing and what if it's part of production and you take everything down
1: azure resource deletion
0: fear oh my goodness that's uh top 10 yeah absolutely so yeah Yeah, name yourself and uh i would say the other thing is like i make liberal use of resource groups so if, yeah, okay. I, if, if it's just a test, I'll put it in a test resource group. When I'm done, I delete the resource group and then everything is gone and I don't have to worry about impacting anything else. Yeah. Hopefully. So you got that first bill and it was a little bit of, well, maybe not the first bill, but you got a very <laughs> large bill and a little like, ah. <laughs> so... What did did you look for ways to optimize what you were doing in Azure or what was your decision process once you saw that cost?
1: Well, uh, Control Alt Delete, now, the first thing we did is uh, basically look through what we weren't using. And it was just a really funny conversation. It was like, oh, this virtual machine, are you using that? It's like, oh, I don't know. I didn't make it. Did you make it? Like, like who, know who made it? <laughs> <laughs> we only have so many accounts accessing, uh, accessing this uh, subscription. So uh, we found virtual machines. Uh, we couldn't remember who even set up. So we obviously couldn't even log into them unless we reset the password. So we had to go through all the resources and it was a pain and figure out what we could delete. What was really helpful was, um, Uh, when you you can go and look at the you can use the cost management uh, tool on azure it's one of the cost blades and you can look at a particular subscription and then in that subscription you can see the different uh, resources and how much they're taking so if you have a resource that is costing but uh, the cost is sort of static it doesn't seem like it's being used there might be a hint that this is something that you could be deleting okay uh we also Had one thing that I did beforehand, which I'm very thankful that I did, is I set up different subscriptions to define cost areas. So I had a separate subscription for uh for the dev environments and dev tools, and had a separate one for quality assurance and acceptance testing, and then one for production. This was so we could track cost if we ever logged in and actually looked at the cost. (laughs) Uh, But you know, in afterhand, we could do that, so that was nice, and we could see uh, which uh, which area or environment was costing us the most. Obviously, it'd be really weird if, uh, if for example, uh, the dev environment would cost us more than production because we have much better virtual machines in production and so on. Uh, so using subscriptions to define cost areas is also really helpful uh, combined with the cost management tool.
0: But you uh, you eventually decided to move it back uh, move it to a different uh, cloud provider temporarily, yeah. correct?
1: yeah uh there was a, there were a, quite a few reasons why we decided to do that so this was just cost was just it was sort of like the, the final thing it's like if it's gonna cost us just as much uh, on a local because we're not managing our resources uh efficiently in from a financial perspective we might as well go local because we some of the clients we have uh, are uh, government clients and they want to have their data locally and uh Azure didn't have uh, the regions we needed for some of the resources. So we ended up having on-premise deployments for some of our customers, uh, maintaining that, and also having sort the, of the, the cloud service uh, deployment. Hmm. So we decided to move to a local cloud provider. So it's still up in the cloud, but it's not Azure. We have uh, a lot of tools and we're still using Azure, but not for the whole system. We will be moving back though, uh, now that we know how to manage our costs. And we also know know a little bit more of the costs that we have. So we can actually... Uh, instead of using a pay-upfront, uh, uh, so sort of, instead of using pay-as-you-go, we can use pay-upfront with Azure reservations, for example, because some of the some of the, the the resources we need are sort of static. We don't need to scale them up and down. We know beforehand how much we're going to need, and that gives you a much better price. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but you do have the option with a lot of the resources to pay upfront with one year or three year plan uh, on Azure. Uh, so we're going to do that.
0: That's, they announced reserved instances. I want to say last year, um, and if I'm remembering correctly, uh, yeah, it was it was just virtual machines to start out with. But there's plans to also have reserved capacity for Azure SQL, maybe. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely they're going to expand that idea out to other services. But I think virtual machines was the the first one they wanted to uh, to launch with.
1: Yeah, and that was the most uh, important one. Uh, so that one. Uh, and also, uh, another thing, uh, we actually have an enterprise agreement. Uh, we have BizPark, though, but um, now we're going to consider having an enterprise agreement. And there is this cost analysis tool, uh, which is in preview right now and only available for uh, enterprise agreement customers. But it will be available for everybody soon, I believe. Uh, and That's going to help us a lot to, you know, review the costs and download the data and do more, yeah, manage our uh, finances a little bit better. Uh, so those are things that I wish we had back then. Um, or enterprise agreement, right. we did have it back then, but sort of the, the pricing tools they've had, they've changed them, deprecated some of the tools that were available, and it's been constantly changing. But now with the cost analysis tool, I think they've got something really good going on.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, there was like a really basic cost, like billing tool, Two two or three years ago, and it it just would tell you what you were spending, but it didn't really do any analysis at all. And then they bought that company Cloudin, I think was the name of the company that they bought to augment that. And uh, that that's probably kind of what they're rolling out now is uh, Cloudin mixed with some other stuff to to improve that cost analysis.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of uh, third-party tools that you can use, but I don't know, I just... Um, we were never comfortable with giving that type of uh, inside data to a third-party tool, uh, so we never used any third-party tool. I didn't know that uh, Azure had acquired another company uh, that did cost analysis. Uh, that's a good way to go about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, Cloudin. it's Cloud D-Y-N, I believe. It's... Yeah. yeah they bought them last year, Uh And I was not surprised. And then the another big player in the market, one of the third party uh, tools, was Cloud Health, and
1: yeah,
0: yeah, they were acquired by VMware last year. So it seems like (laughs) everybody was like, "Oh man, we got to go out and buy one of these cloud uh, spending analysis tools," and uh, (laughs) they all got bought up within like a year and a half. I think
1: everybody was under the impression that you know it's, uh, or at least I was, that it's. uh, it's cheaper using the cloud because you only pay for what you use. Well, that really depends on what you are using uh, and not just how much you're using it. Um, so, I'm very happy that uh, they're integrating this type of tools because it's very hard to wrap your head around the cost just by looking at the pricing for a tool. Even with that, you can estimate prices beforehand, which is good to do, uh, but that's still not going to give you an accurate picture of how much things are going to cost you.
0: Sure. So as you plan to move things back into Azure, I know obviously you're going to be looking at reserved instances for your static capacity. Are you also looking to use something like virtual machine scale sets or uh, you know, like expandable app service to give you that dynamic capacity when you need it?
1: Yeah, we're we're going to, two things that are going to help us a lot is uh, elastic pooling and some sort of scale sets um, we haven't decided on how much we want to manage ourselves and how much we want to let Azure, you know, do the heavy lifting for us. Uh, the elastic thing is actually really nice for us. We're a little bit unsure if it's going to scale or pull uh, fast enough for us because we're, we're doing calculations on insane amounts of data and uh, performance yeah. is really important for us. And honestly, we haven't tested that part yet, but we will. Because that's one of the things we really wanted to use, but it was in preview at the time. Uh, Other things we're also looking at is uh, actually combining with other cloud service providers. Uh, For example, uh, if we use a CDN, um, I don't know how CDN on Azure is now, but... uh, a few a few years ago, it wasn't the most uh, the, the best one. It was still quite pricey, and we had better options. And might have changed. And also, uh, we are looking into doing some sort of hybrid solution because we do have our own servers as well. So at least for development, we want to see if we can. Uh, use the licenses Uh, so you can use licenses that you have um, something called Azure hybrid Benefit, so you can use existing licenses on uh, Azure virtual machines. So we want to look into how we can optimize with the licenses uh, we are already paying for uh, as well. Also look into uh, we just chose, you know, we're just going to you go with virtual machines because we know how to manage that. But now, obviously, we're more container ready. We're going to start looking into that as well. And also, maybe we don't even need containers. Maybe we just need Azure Functions for some of the tooling. Maybe we can use something else. Hmm.
0: Yeah, look into that sort of more cloud-native yeah. deployment. Yeah, so between Azure Functions and then what's that other... Uh... Abstraction they have for business logic. I think it's called Logic Apps. Yes. So you can sort of glue things, glue functions and other things together with Logic Apps to get the equivalent of what you might have running on a virtual machine.
1: There's a lot. There's a lot you can do to tweak. Like even just picking the the right region. Even regions will vary in t- in terms of pricing. Uh, but sometimes you want to be careful with the region uh, and also where you keep your data. Some clients want to have in their SLA uh, which region the d- their data is in. But otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, And that, and also, yes, let's not forget, uh, for development purposes, you don't need to use like full-blown virtual machines. You can use (laughs) labs, for example, making sure that you're actually shutting off the VMs in your environment when you're not using it. Mm -hmm. So you can have opening hours like we do in the middle of the night, because we all have small kids. So most of us are working (laughs) during the night.
0: (laughs) Oh, I know the feeling. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh one thing to look into if you haven't already is uh management groups and azure policies. Yes, so, yeah. Yeah, that that you can restrict, you know, what sizes and types of virtual machines uh your developers have access to in a particular resource group or or even subscription. Okay. Uh so that's that can be useful to to keep people from blowing things out of uh, proportion.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will have to somebody will have to go and set some restrictions for me actually cuz <laughs> I, I tend to go overkill when it, when it comes to uh designing on uh, on hardware for uh, for machines but oh well, I do actually have five monitors at work. So <laughs>
0: five monitors. Yeah. So like Two to do work, and then three to watch various uh, YouTube videos or or, or sporting events.
1: <laughs> you am <do> i <it> <laughs> I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm unfortunately I'm the one responsible for all things related to DevOps because nobody wants to touch that stuff. So uh, mm. I I have to already be into different machines and fix things all the time because we do we manage everything manually now. Um, so even even Windows updates, we haven't even automated that in uh, in our production environment and so on, obviously. Uh, so there's a lot of, I need to do, uh, I need to keep maintain a lot of RDP sessions at the same time. It's just easier having them up at the same time on the screen. Uh, I have one dedicated monitor for just chats, you know, we have everything from Slack to Teams and all that and uh, I actually use every single screen. When it comes to development, you have one screen for running your tests. you have one screen for the editor, and then you have one screen just for all the Visual Studio menus, right? The the right-click menu. That's just one monitor, <laughs> right?
0: Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't used Visual Studio in years. Uh, uh, once VS Code got good enough, uh, <laughs> I switched over to that and, and haven't looked back.
1: Yeah, I've got a hate-love <laughs> relationship with Visual Studio. I really like it, but it's just uh at least in the in i think in the last update they they made it slimmer and uh, there's a little bit less clutter but i swear to god they keep making that menu larger and larger the right click menu is just yeah yeah
0: <laughs> oh that's hilarious um one thing that you might want to consider uh for your hybrid scenarios where you need to deploy something on premises um Azure stack is now available and that gives you sort of a consistent deployment environment um with that's on parity with Azure but it it it's running the same uh, APIs that Azure runs but in an on-premises deployment. Uh it's a pretty interesting solution. Um it's something I've been working on a lot.
1: Yeah, I've, I gotta, I got I got to admit I don't know too much about that. So definitely uh, something to look into.
0: Sure, I'll drop a link in the show notes and uh one of uh one of my friends that i met from uh from the global mvp summit last year is uh is swedish and uh he's an azure stack mvp
1: <laughs> oh, uh, who is that
0: uh frederick um nielsen
1: Oh, that's a very swedish name
0: <laughs> yeah i was going to say that it, it, it's it's a- Good-sized country. It's not like you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I know Frederick." But
1: uh, since yeah, we're, we're all MVPs, we right? Quite a few MVPs. Uh, I'll try. I can't see. I'm. I'm really good with names and faces, and I can't really place the name on a face yet. But I'll, I'll hunt him down. I'll find him. He's. He's either in Gothenburg or Stockholm, because that's like the only two cities people live in. Uh, oh, and and Malmo. <laughs> I gotta say uh, Malmo as well. Though. So <laughs> the three I know okay. about in Sweden.
0: That's crazy. Um Okay. So uh I think we're starting to get towards the end of time. Um if you could sort of encapsulate what what are the top three things that uh the listener should keep in mind when they're trying to manage costs in the cloud?
1: All right, okay. Uh number one, uh monitor your costs uh, and do this by you know, already uh, grouping your costs by using subscriptions, for example. Um, so the first thing is just monitor the costs. And the second would be, um, this is going to sound really obvious, uh, but it actually requires a lot of work. Make sure that you use the right tool or service or resources. So just don't go, oh, I'm going to have a virtual machine and I'm going to install service bus on it. You know, there are already services for that and maybe that's better. So you don't need to dog food everything yourself and just copy. You don't want you don't need to just lift and shift what you have locally because that can get really expensive. So use the right tool or resource. And the third one is if you don't use it, uh, deallocate it or even better, delete it. Just cleaning up after yourself. It's really, really important.
0: All right, great. Those are some really good tips. Um, If people want to know more about you, what you're up to, see you speak somewhere, uh, where can they find out more about you?
1: Um, most active on Twitter, just as Iris, Iris Classon. Uh, my surname is spelled like class one without the E at the end. And okay. uh, <laughs> there's also my blog, irisclasson.com. Uh, I blog about various .NET technologies and a fair bit of Azure. And otherwise, no, that's it. Uh, there's there's other social media, but you, you don't want to go there. There, there's, <laughs> there. It's a lot of babies right now because obviously... <laughs> My baby, is the cutest in the whole world. Nobody has seen a cute baby like this before. He's a miracle, and he's so smart. Oh my god, he's six weeks old. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's great. Oh, I remember when my kids took over my social media feed
1: too. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was not gonna. I'm not gonna be like one of those people. I'm not. I'm, mm, but just this one photo, because he's really cute <laughs> when he's throwing up on me.
0: That's right. You can't wait to show those photos when when they're older too. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right. Well, thank you, Iris, so much for appearing on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a good conversation.
0: Thanks to Iris for appearing on Day 2 Cloud. And thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. If you like the show, please subscribe and let me know on Twitter. If you have suggestions for future shows, I'd love to hear them. Until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.